Hello and welcome into another episode of Locked on Wolves. Today on the show, we're going to talk all about the Timberwolves' early season schedule, why it is vital for them to get off to a hot start this fall. Also, we'll take a peek at the Bleacher Report list of the ceilings for the best 25 and under players in the NBA, where Anthony Edwards ranked in this top 10, where he should rank, and the players around him on the list. I'll give my thoughts on the whole thing. It's all coming on the show. Welcome in. You are Locked on Wolves. You are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy Hump Day. And a big thank you for making Locked On Wolves your first listen every single day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can find Locked On Wolves. You can also download the Locked On Sports Minnesota app on either Roku or Amazon Fire TV. You can find Locked On Wolves along with all the other Minnesota Locked On podcasts there. More great local sports coverage 24-7, and it's free. Download the Locked On Sports Minnesota app today on Roku or Amazon Fire TV. You can also follow this show on Twitter or X at Beacon, and also at Locked On T-Wolves. That's Locked On T-Wolves. Don't forget the T. All right, so middle of last week, so about a week ago, the NBA released the overall schedule for each individual team, the national TV schedule, the Christmas Day schedules out, all that good stuff. Um, some of the details on the preseason tournament, we talked briefly about it on Monday's show. Um, I think we may have talked a little about it last Friday, but I want to spend a good chunk of the show here today kind of breaking down the Wolves schedule. I I don't want to officially give a win prediction um, yet. Although I will say, as an aside, also plug in another Lockdown show. Lockdown Fantasy Basketball is a fantastic show with Josh Lloyd, uh, like the best-ranked fantasy basketball show out there that you'll find. And um, he did individual shows on every single team in the NBA. So basically a 30-minute show for each individual team. And so I recorded the Wolves one last week. I believe that it's running today on Wednesday. And I was I was forced into making a win project, projection on that show. Please go watch it or listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts or watch on YouTube. And I'll give my prediction at the end of that show. If you do, and I hope you do, that's not my final official prediction for this podcast for Lockdown Wolves. I reserve the right to change that based on the rest of how how the rest of this offseason shakes out. And I like to do that like right before the actual regular season starts. Not that like preseason factors in too much. Last year, my official prediction was 52 wins. That was obviously off. They won 42 games. A couple of years ago, uh, when everybody thought they'd win around 40 games, I think my prediction was 49, and they won 46 that season. So I've been a little optimistic. I, I acknowledge that. But I also think there's been some weird stuff the last couple of years. Uh, I mean, nobody had the Wolves as a 42-40 and 40 team last year. And and common sense, like, if Carlton Towns was healthy, they're not, right? So anyway, I'm setting this up for, I'm going to have a relatively optimistic prediction this year. And I certainly was more optimistic than Josh in the Lockdown Fantasy Basketball Show. All that to say, I want to talk about today, if you break the schedule down into essentially sections, and no matter what you do before the season, if you it's arbitrary, right? You can do it month by month, you can do it by season quarters, you can do it uh, 
you know, end of the calendar year, you could do pre and post all-star break. So what I did is I just kind of, again, it's arbitrary, right? I looked at where I thought the schedule got easier or the, at least the easiest parts of the schedule and then kind of said, all right, this is where it's easy. This is where it feels like it's getting harder. And it's a good, a good point in time for uh, a benchmark, right? So let's start with how the season opens. And I actually chose Christmas as kind of the first benchmark where you really have a, a big enough sample. It's right around, you know, right after that December 15th deadline where players who sign in the offseason are able to be traded. Uh, teams start to kind of feel like they know what they have. You're about a third of the way, a little more than a third of the way through your slate. And actually, that will also be post in-season tournament now, right? Because the Wolves have four in-season tournament games scattered throughout mid to late November. The actual in-season tournament uh, knockout rounds, quarterfinals, semifinals, championship, or finals, or whatever they're calling it, that's December 4th through the 8th, basically, right? So this is after the in-season tournament. It's 28 games into the season. I'm going to give you the record I think the Wolves need to have at Christmas in order to feel good about the start to the season. And first, I'm going to set you up for why that's so important. The Timberwolves play five of their first seven games on the road. Or excuse, excuse me, at home. That that would be an important that that's an important distinction, right? Five of their first seven at home. They did the same thing last year too, but only went four and three. And remember some of those losses. And you could go back several years. I mean, there's been a couple of years where they played Detroit or Orlando at home to start the season. Teams the Wolves should beat, and they beat, but barely. And then they go out and they you know lay an egg against a team that or or just aren't competitive. Remember that Bucks game last year that was just simply not competitive. Like there's, it's. Bid disappointing start to the season after disappointing start to the season for the Wolves. This is another golden opportunity. Five of seven at home and rest advantages. We'll talk a little bit more about that here in a minute, but early in the season, rest advantages. But you look at the first um, the first couple of weeks of games. At Toronto to open on Wednesday, October 25th. Obviously, played in the road to open the season. It's not easy. Toronto is a team with a rookie head coach. They're also now in the middle of a legal battle. Uh, allegedly, their new coach and staff stealing secrets from Boston, or sorry, from the Knicks. Um, it, like, it's that's a whole thing. But like, this is a team that like, I mean, what the the FanDuel over under has their has their win total at thirty six and a half wins right now over our friends at FanDuel Sportsbook. That seems a little high to me. Again, very early to to fully judge this, but like that's a winnable game for Minnesota, right? And then you come home to play Miami. Who knows Jimmy Butler's status? It always feels like he's kind of 50-50 to play, well, kind of period, but especially against the Wolves. And then add Atlanta, another winnable game. Home for Denver, Utah, Boston, New Orleans. You got to at least split those games. Now, that's a tougher start to the season than last year in terms of, yeah, the five, five of the first seven are at home, but your four home games or your five home games, I should say, are Miami, Denver, the defending champs, Utah, Boston, and the Pelicans. So all, except for New Orleans, they're all, well, I guess Utah wasn't a playing team, um, but they're all competitive teams, right? There's no Houston's, Detroit's, you know, uh, teams like that mixed in there. So it's not a real easy five of seven at home, but still, you like four and three actually doesn't feel terrible there. Like you should win at Toronto. You should win at least three of your five home games. So that's four wins right there. And you, you should win Atlanta. So realistically five and two feels right. Four and three would actually not be the worst thing there. And then it's a long road trip. It's a five game road trip 
with two games at Golden State and one at Phoenix and then winnable games at San Antonio and at New Orleans. So it's actually not that easy of a start to the season. But then it lightens up a little bit. Then you get into home for the Knicks, home for Philadelphia and Sacramento, which are tough, at Memphis, home for Oklahoma City and Utah. And then you get the in-season tournament. You have at Charlotte, at New Orleans. Uh, both should be wins. At Dallas is probably a toss-up. Home for Indiana should be a win. So as you get closer and closer to the holidays, the schedule lightens up. That week before Christmas, home for Indiana, at Miami, at Philadelphia. Obviously, those two are really tough. Home for the Lakers, at Sacramento, at Oklahoma City, home for Dallas, home for the Lakers to end the calendar year. My take at Christmas, based on the Wolves' schedule, based on rest advantages, which we talked about the other day, and I'm going to see if I have the um, the actual, let's see, uh, the rest advantage is pretty, oh man, I lost it here. The rest advantage is pretty significant early in the season, even if the matchups themselves are difficult. I still think the Timberwolves could realistically be, I'm going to give you this number, 16 and 12 at Christmas. And I would feel pretty good about that start to the season. 17 and 11 is real. Actually, I think realistic, but 16 and 12 would be my target because it's not an easy schedule. Although the rest advantages are frequent. Um, I'm going to see if I can pull this back up here where I had, it was a, it was a tweet by, uh, uh, here we go. I had this the other day. Um, Matt Moore of Hardwood Pro or also Hardwood Proxism on Twitter, of course, uh, one of the hosts of Locked On Nuggets, does a great job at the Action Network. He said the Wolves are a buy early, sell late team because they have four back to backs in the first half of the season, the fewest in the league. They have 11 rest advantage games in the first half of the season. Now, that's not simply pre Christmas, that's first half of the season. And I think he's counting that as, as pre All Star break. So, yeah, the schedule's tough, but you have a lot of rest advantages. I think 16 and 12 or 17 and 11 at Christmas time. That's about right. Um, that's where the Wolves need to be. And and frankly, November and December are arguably the hardest two months in terms of strength of schedule. So 16 and 12 would feel okay. I want to talk next about what happens after the first year, how the schedule does lighten up. And even though the rest advantage kind of goes away in the second half um, of the season, and in some ways they just simply have the disadvantage, I still think the second half of the schedule is more friendly to Minnesota, and that's that's going to push us closer to a mid-high 40s win total um, looking at this right now. So we'll talk about all that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends over at Ibotta. If you're picking up burgers and hot dogs for a late summer barbecue, you know the weather is still extremely hot in August in Minnesota. You know you're already doing that, so why not get cash back for it while you're out there getting those burgers and dogs? You could do that with Ibotta. Ibotta gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter where you're purchasing or what you're purchasing. Either link your loyalty account or upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back it really is that easy. The average Ibotta user earns $120 per year. That could cover the cost of an entire shopping trip. Or you could use your cash back to buy that flight you've been eyeing, that game you're dying to go to, or the fancy dinner you've been craving. Other apps give you points that don't amount to much, but with Ibotta, you get real cash back that can, you can cash out to your bank account, PayPal, or gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Again, 5 bucks just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app 
Use the code LOCKED. That's Ibotta, I-B-O-T-T-A, in the Google Play or App Store, and use the code LOCKED. A big thank you once again for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, every day as we'll be back on Friday, we'll preview Saturday morning. It's like a 740 Eastern or maybe 740 Central. It's it's a before 9 a.m. Central tip for FIBA, uh, Team USA's first game of the actual FIBA tournament Saturday morning. So we'll preview that on Friday. We'll talk about some more um, off-season related stuff, some more of those uh, ranking articles around the internet. Uh, those are always fun to talk about this time of year. We're, I mean, yes, FIBA is going to be fun the next couple of weeks. It's still August, so it's ranking season, frankly. So we'll do a lot of that on Friday. And then also we'll be back again next Monday. We're still Monday, Wednesday, Friday here for the next couple of weeks. And then we'll go daily again, uh, because believe it or not, we're just like a month away from training camp, then preseason. And as we all know, it happens quickly once we get to that point. All right. Continuing the schedule conversation, my thought for the Wolves record at Christmas should be 16 and 12 should be the target. I would also accept 17 and 11. I think that would be uh, that that's reasonable, even with how difficult the schedule is. Then post Christmas and again, relatively arbitrary. You could call it calendar year, whatever. But then post Christmas, things do lighten up a little bit. You get mixed in there. You get the Knicks. Uh, you know, it's, these teams are like there aren't that many true like bottom feeders, right? I mean, the Thunder obviously aren't that anymore. So you're talking about maybe Houston, maybe Detroit, San Antonio. Um, you know, like they're just Charlotte. Like there aren't that many just awful tanking teams anymore. Like there have been. The Western Conference is really good. So a lot of these teams I'm rattling off. Like I know the Knicks are good. I. Like, I know Dallas is good. I know the Thunder are good. But these are all teams that, like, they're going to win anywhere from 40 to, I don't know, 38 to 48 games, right? Like, they're all winnable games, kind of in that same tier as the Wolves, although I'd argue that all the teams I just mentioned, except for maybe Dallas, their ceiling isn't as high as the Timberwolves, just based on star power. Um, All that to say, though, that's going to make this year a ton of fun. And it's also actually going to make the in-season tournament. It should make it a lot of fun, too, because anybody can beat anybody. And even though that's technically always the case, like there's only like four or five teams right now that I would say they're definitely not making the playoffs. Every Everything else is on the table, really, this season in the NBA. We saw a little bit of that last year, honestly. Um, but anyway, the January schedule, it does lighten up a little bit. Um, I, I feel pretty good about about what that January schedule looks like. I mean, you've got uh, you got the Knicks, Pelicans, at Houston, at Dallas, at Orlando. So you get... Houston, you get Orlando, you get Detroit and Charlotte all in January and uh, San Antonio. So you could argue those are like four of the worst five teams in the entire league, plus winnable games against Washington, a couple against the Thunder. Um, You get Portland. Oh, yeah. Throw them in there, too, uh, depending on, of course, the Dame situation. So January is arguably the easiest month of the season. So you get through January and this should be a 25 win team through January. That's completely plausible. February is not much tougher. You start February with Orlando, Houston, and Chicago. Those should all be wins. All no rest disadvantage. Like they're not back to backs. Um, so like that that's that's all very, very, very doable. And then you get a couple of road games at Portland. You get San Antonio again. Um, you and then as you get into March, you get Portland again. March is a little tougher. Um, but February, like you get through February, you get through the all-star break, you get through the trade deadline, and this team should be in position to be a, a top five seed in the West, call it. Um, and then as you go down the schedule, you break it down a little bit further. It does get pretty tough to close, although the Wolves also finish with a bunch of games at home, which is huge. Um, the 
the rest advantage kind of kind of goes away a little bit, as I mentioned earlier, as the season goes on. But closing as much as they do at home is going to be huge. Uh, let's see, 17 of their final 27 games are at home and 10 of their last 14 are at home. So it's December, like December is kind of the maybe the combination of the toughest schedule and the least rest advantage. January, February, easier schedule. The rest advantage starts to disappear. March is probably the toughest month all the way around. But then you close strong late March into April with a lot of games at home. And there's a stretch late March into April. Home games against Chicago, Houston, and Toronto consecutively. And then a home game against Washington a week later. You finish the season with home games against Atlanta and Phoenix. Um, it's possible that Phoenix games mean some Phoenix game means something, but there's winnable games down the stretch for Minnesota. And as we saw last year, that really mattered. Like they finished with that weird back-to-back matinee, San Antonio, New Orleans thing. And the New Orleans game mattered quite a bit, right? And the Wolves beat San Antonio and they won that New Orleans game despite the um the the Jade McDaniels situation. Um that was just a a uh it was fun to have meaningful basketball the last weekend of the season. Ideally, the Wolves are in a situation where it doesn't matter for good reasons. Um, but that that close is going to be pretty interesting. So I'm not going to give that official win prediction, but just know that I'm shooting for 16-11 by Christmas. Excuse me, 16-12 or 17-11 by Christmas. Probably 25 to 27 wins by the end of January. And I'm just going to say generally, you're looking at an upper 40s win total this year. And again, if you just look at it, and it's this is completely oversimplifying it. There's a million other factors, but this is a 46 win t- team two years ago. Objectively speaking, the roster was better last year and is better this year than it was two years ago when they won 46 games. Last year they only won 42, but arguably their best all around player last year, Carl Anthony Towns, missed 52 consecutive games, only played in 29 regular season games. I think it was, um, and they were only six games worse. So consider that. It doesn't look that bad. That said, any increase in wins of like more than five is generally really significant without a major acquisition. The Wolves didn't make a major acquisition this offseason, but the health of Carl Anthony Towns and another year of acclimating Rudy Gobert and another year of Anthony Edwards' growth and Jade McDaniel's growth, a jump to upper 40 wins north of the 46 they won a couple years ago seems like less of a jump. Right, They have a good coach in Chris Finch. They have a staff that now has some continuity. They have a front office that's been in place for uh, you know a year and three months, which isn't a lot. But like, hey, it's more than was the case at this time last year. So there's a lot of things that are, that are kind of pushing in the direction of this team being significantly better. And a five, six, seven, eight game improvement is a huge jump in the NBA. If you look at typical year-over-year improvement, even for teams that, that do get better, like that jump typically isn't so big. So my preliminary kind of range I'm going to give you is that I'm not even going to give a range. I'm going to say upper 40s wins. I think that's completely feasible. And the ceiling of this team is obviously even much higher than that. Now, last year, there was a lot of the that murky middle in the NBA. There was there was not a whole ton of dominant teams or terrible teams in last year's NBA. I think we're going to see more of that this year, too. All right, let's close with this uh NBA players under 25 guards with the highest ceilings at Bleacher Report. Anthony Edwards ranks highly. Um, I'll give thoughts as to why I agree with his ranking. Actually, I really don't have to argue with it much at all, but I'll argue why there should be kind of tiers here and why Ant should be clearly above basically every name below him on this list. So we'll get to that here next. 
All right, let's close by talking Anthony Edwards. There's a Bleacher Report article by Zach Buckley, who generally does a good job over at Bleacher Report. We like to read his pieces in the offseason, talk about them on the show. The title of the piece is Ranking NBA Guards Under 25 with Highest Ceilings. So it's a little bit convoluted, but basically the idea is not simply who the best players currently are under 25, but for the backcourt players, guards and some wings under the age of 25 by opening night, who has the highest ceiling? Rank them 1 through 10. Honorable mentions, Jalen Green of the Rockets, Tyler Hero, Tyrese Maxey, and uh, Amen Thompson of the Rockets. Then he gets into the top 10. Josh Giddy of the Thunder is at 10. Um, I still really like Josh Giddy. I think he's got a really big off- or big overall ceiling, although some of the offensive stuff, um, some of the shooting percentages, like, you know, he could do a lot of things, but the scoring prowess isn't super efficient. He's 10. I get that. Jalen Williams also the Thunder at number nine, and uh, he's only had one season in the league, so that makes sense. Cade Cunningham at eight. I was surprised to see him solo. Scoot Henderson's at seven. I'd actually probably flip those. I'd put uh, Cade ahead of Scoot. Darius Garland at six. I'd also consider putting Cade Cunningham at AM. Melo Ball still at five. This is interesting because remember, Ball was an all-star two years ago, was hurt a bunch last year. Obviously, the Hornets have not had the team success that many predicted after his rookie season. Um, And he talks about the, you know, the gaudy numbers and the highlights early, but uh, the the shooting has not been consistent enough and also his teammates have not been good enough. So he's got him at five, Terrence Halberton at four. And honestly, of all the players on this list, besides number one, who you could probably guess who it is, but we will, uh, we'll get to it here in a minute. Terrence Halberton's probably the second best of all the players sitting here today. I think many would think that Halberton's overall ceiling may be limited because of... Uh, his modest athleticism. And um, I mean, I don't know, like he's a really good shooter. He does a lot of things. Well, he's just not ultra dynamic, but right now he's probably the second best player on this list. I would say, I mean, he's a better player. Like I, this is maybe sacrilegious to say in a, on a Wolves podcast, but I think in a vacuum, Terry's Halberton today is a better player than Anthony Edwards. I would rather have Anthony Edwards hands down moving forward. There's no question about that. So before you come at me with, pitchforks and and torches um i'd rather have ant than the terrace halberton but sitting here right now in august of 2023 terrace halberton's a better player number three on this list john morant i'd say the same thing about jaw i think jaw's a better player than anthony edwards right now but ant's a better shooter and he's a far better defender um and also you know ants off the court issues I don't, I don't know that I called him. Well, I don't know. He Ant's had some missteps, right? Like he's, he's said some stuff. He's posted some stuff that, that aren't great and he's apologized for them. And I think hopefully has learned from them. Hopefully the case is the same for Ja. His are a bit more serious, very literally uh, gun related incidents for John Morant. I, you have to take that into account here. Right. But even without that, given that Ant's got the bigger, stronger frame and can take contact better and is a better shooter, he should age better than John Morant. And, the ceiling is higher than John Rant, and he's a much better defender than John Rant. So I would say, sitting here right now, Ja is the better player, but that could change as soon as next year, simply because of the defensive end of the floor. Uh, but anyway, Ja is three on this list. Ant is number two, and you guessed it, Luka Doncic is number one for which of the players under the age of 25, backcourt players, have the highest ceiling. I agree 100% with this list. Well, I shouldn't say that. I agree with where this list landed. Luka's one, Ant's two. I buy that all the way. I probably put Halliburton three because I, I'm worried about all the things I just listed with Ja. Sitting here right now, you could argue that both Ja Morant and Tyrese Halliburton are better players than Anthony Edwards, and Ant would be the fourth best player on this list. 
that's going to change. And that's why Ant is number two, because this isn't a sitting here right now list in a vacuum. It is a highest ceiling for players under the age of 25. And Ant has a higher ceiling than those guys. You could even argue, I could build the case for Ant having a higher ceiling than Luka Doncic. It's primarily centered around age because he's younger than Luka and athleticism. Um, But it's a tough argument to make simply because Luka's so good now. Like he's already like a top five or six player in the league. Uh, A couple years ago for a stretch, he was the best player in the league. Um, He's a solid defender. He's one of the best probably two or three offensive players in the entire league. Um, I say he's a solid defender. He's a passable defender who could be better, but he's got some clear holes. Ant is a pretty darn good defender. Like the only real issues he's had are the off-ball lapses and then not bringing it every single night against lesser competition or in games that maybe aren't as high profile. That is an issue. But ultimately, if your team's good enough, you're getting judged on those big moments. Um, And so I think because of the athleticism, the size, the two-way ability, Anthony Edwards, you could build the case for him having a higher ceiling. But I think... Because Luca's already so good, already an MVP candidate, and Ant just broke through the All Star, um, you know, ceiling, I guess, last year, and hasn't yet been All NBA. You can't really argue that I don't think, um, in good faith, at this moment. A year from now, Ant makes a leap, Mavs disappoint again, and it becomes much clearer what Ant's path would be to having a, a greater overall career and a higher ceiling than one Luka Doncic. But this list is a, a solid list. Like I can't really argue with it. Um, you know, five and below. Like you could you could quibble a little bit with, as I mentioned, Scoot at seven and and uh, Kate Cunningham at eight, with Darius Garland at six and the mobile ball at five. That five through eight, you could shuffle around a little bit. But I, I would I say four three two one is right. Uh, maybe Tyrese Halberton at three and and uh, John Morant at four, but Ant at two and and Luke at one. I get that. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I've said this in a lot of different ways in the show. Even if Ant struggles now with you know the leap last year wasn't as significant as we wanted it to be from an efficiency standpoint and a consistency standpoint. He improved in areas that matter a lot, even if it doesn't show in all the advanced stats and in all the the raw stats. But the decision making, um, the the ability to play within a team concept and the ability to lock down in big moments against big time players on on the defensive end of the floor, those are all massive steps in the right direction for his long term development and the future of of the Wolves team that he's now the centerpiece of, um, as as identified by Tim Connolly and, and the team leadership. All right, speaking of ants in the future, that's what we'll talk about on Friday's show is specific to FIBA World Cup, the Team USA game early Saturday uh, stateside time time. Stateside time, stateside, I don't know. On our calendar, early Saturday, would be Anthony Edwards uh, playing for Team USA. So we'll, we'll talk about that on Friday's show. Among other things, that's all we have for you, though, today on Wednesday's show. A big thank you for those that do make Locked That Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms, wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can find this one. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV. And you can follow on Twitter at Lockdown T-Wolves and also at B-Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Remember, the Lockdown Network is your local experts on all the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.